Winning is a personal choice. Now, you may well ask, then why aren't there more winners or winners all around? After all, everyone wants to win. And I will say, I said that winning is a personal choice, not a wish. And there lies the secret to winning and losing. The difference between wishing and choosing. One is passive, the other is active. One needs no effort, the other needs sweat and tears and maybe even a little blood. One you look back upon in your twilight years and say to yourself in the midst of your tears, the most tragic words in any language, if only, if only. And the other, you look back upon in your twilight years and you say, I'm so happy that I shed my tears way back then. Now, you are perhaps saying that is hard, but welcome, welcome to another great secret. Life is hard. I want you to stand in front of the mirror, look at yourself in the eyes and repeat that 1000 times. Life is hard. <clears throat> or oh, let me uh, reword that. A winner's life is hard. And that is why it is a choice. Because while it is hard, it is also immensely satisfying and exciting and energizing and productive and beneficial for you and others and leaves you great memories. Hard is one word that describes all that. Life is hard for losers too. Much harder really because it comes without any rewards. So choose wisely because it is your life. Now, why aren't there more winners? Because of another fact. People forget that we are free to choose, but every choice has a price tag. It's like walking into any superstore. It's full of beautiful things. You're free to browse and look at whatever you like, but you can only take home what you pay for. It truly is as simple as that. Winners learn this early and then they prepare themselves to pay for their choices and they walk away with their buys. I say early because depending on the choice, it may take a long time to prepare. Ask any world-class tennis player or golfer at what age they held the first tennis racket or golf club in their hand. <coughs> ask Andrea Agassi, ask uh, Tiger Woods, ask anybody. You can extend that example to practically any sport or anything worth doing. Start early and stay focused. Start early and stay focused. You may say, well, I agree, but I am not seven years old any anymore. No, you're not. So some choices are not open to you any longer. And that's a big reason to choose early. However, what you can do at any age is to choose something else that is open to you today and go for it. Just because you wasted your life until now doesn't mean that you must continue to waste it. Sorry to be brutal, life is brutal. And the sooner you realize that, the sooner you will start winning. Start early and stay focused. Do you know what you need to stay focused? Attention span, attention span. Focus is all about staying on one thing for a long time. 
How long is long enough? Depends on what you are trying to accomplish. There is no magic number, but believe me, it is not measured in seconds. The time is not measured in seconds or minutes, but in hours, days, and sometimes years. Focus is the difference between ordinary light and laser. One at best illuminates, the other cuts through steel. You may say that you are happy with simply illuminating all part of you, but if you are interested in leaving a legacy, in creating memories, in doing things that will continue to benefit others long after you're gone, then focus is critical. If you don't believe me, tell me how many goldfish or monkeys do you know who left behind legacies? Likewise, for people with the attention span of these two lovely creatures. Now, do we need goldfish and monkeys? Of course we do. The question is not that. The question is, do you want to be a goldfish or a monkey? And that is what you must decide. Sometimes some well-meaning people wonder why I don't do shorts for YouTube or TikTok to reach the youth <clears throat> who they claim have uh, very short attention spans. It looks like they never saw a child or adolescent buried in his phone. My response is, I teach winners, not goldfish or monkeys. Having said that, I have several students who are dedicated enough to stay engaged and participate and contribute to their own and my learning. That's all I need. The problem is that today some teachers and scholars seem to have confused their roles with that of entertainers. Believe me, it is not the job of the teacher or scholar to attract the masses. It is their job to provide the best possible learning experience for serious students who come to them. Teachers are like a crystal clear river gushing out of a glacier with ice cold pure water. It's there for anyone to drink from and use as they wish, as much as they wish. But the one who is thirsty must go to the river, not vice versa. The one who was thirsty will find the river. He will search and he will find the river. The one who is not thirsty doesn't need it. To take the river to him is to insert the river. Knowledge is for those who are thirsty for it, not for the disinterested who have no time for it. The key to developing leaders is the same as the key to doing anything that stands out. You pick the best suited material. It begins with that. You can't get a great harvest from trash seed. You can't make a great katana with scrap steel, no matter how skilled a swordsman or swordsmaker you may be. It's a mark of skill, of your skill as a swordmaker, and a sign of your expertise that you start with selecting the best steel. You cannot make winners out of losers. Winners have huge attention spans. Losers watch shorts on TikTok. We must all suffer from one of two things, the pain of discipline or the pain of regret. We must choose. 
And remember, not choosing is also a choice. I use the word pain for a reason. All choices are painful by definition. In some, the pain comes first. In others, the pain comes later. The pain that comes first is voluntary. It is temporary and it enhances the reward. The pain that comes later is, in a manner of speaking, its own reward. And it lasts until your last day. That is the difference between the pain of discipline and the pain of regret. Good winning choices are almost always tough and painful. But losing choices are far more painful, though they seem easy to make. Once again, your call. Because it's your life. I want to share with you some choices I made so that you can hear it straight from the horse's mouth, me. I graduated high school from the Hyderabad Public School, one of the best schools in India. But I did not make a tough choice. I chose the easy route to follow some friends. I lost one year in that process. I learned my lesson very painfully and never made that mistake again. In 1979, I left the comfort of home and family and friends and social circle in Hyderabad and went to Guyana, South America, across the world. I've written a book about that called From India to the Indies. I lived alone in Kokwani, a little mining town carved out of the Amazonian rainforest clinging to the bank of the Burbis River, where I was a total stranger. And I lived there for five years. Nobody spoke my mother tongue Urdu. I was the only Muslim, the only foreigner. The food, the language, Guyanese or Creole, the culture, West Indian, the people, majority of them of African origin, some of mixed Chinese, Amerindian, African, Indian, uh, stock, Indians and Amerindians were all totally alien to me. But I learned the language. I made friends who I loved very much and who loved me and took me into their homes and lives. I am in touch with many today, 44 years later. I tried to do my work as the assistant administrative manager at age 24 with subordinates as old as my father learning to lead in a very hard, unionized, militant labor environment. I learned about life and had a very successful career. All of that is, is, is in that book, From India to the Indies. I was lonely sometimes, very lonely, missing my family and life back home in Hyderabad. Lonely enough sometimes to weep as I would sit on the veranda of my house, looking out across the orange orchard at the dark, ominous wall of the forest that bordered our officer's colony. The darkness in my heart was much more than the darkness I was looking out at. I could have packed my bags and left at any time, but I didn't. I stayed. I'm very stubborn. I don't like to lose. To leave because I couldn't take the pressure would be to lose. I was not going to do that. But I was also not going to be miserable. So, 
I would go out fishing and hunting <clears throat> almost every weekend with my friend and colleague Peter Ramsey. There is a unique thing about the pleasure of brotherhood, male companionship where you have each other's back. There is no pretense, nothing to prove to the other, no secrets. You travel together, you know each other's thoughts, you share your life with complete trust that each will gladly give his life for the other if need be and consider that an honor. I had the singular privilege of having had three such friends. Peter was one. To go to Guyana was a tough choice. To stay was even tougher. After five years, I decided to return home because thanks to Guyanese politics of the time, as a foreigner, I didn't seem to have a great future in my career in that company. In India, I entered the plantation industry in South India, in the Anamalays in 1983. And in the same year, I decided to make a career as a leadership consultant. I wrote my goal as I will be a leadership consultant with a global practice and clients for whom I will be the natural and only choice. Let me repeat that. I will be a leadership consultant with a global practice with clients for whom I will be the natural and only choice. Writing this was easy. Achieving the first stage of it by launching my consulting practice took me 12 years of working every weekend, every vacation, and spending every penny on learning consulting skills. Remember, at the time I started, I didn't know, I didn't know that, it would, that it would take me 12 years. Maybe that was a good thing in a way because I'm not sure if I would have had the courage to take the first step. During this period, I earned an executive MBA, the MEP from IIMA, from the premier business school in India, the Indian Institute of Management, Ahmedabad. This happened in the year I got married, 1985, one month after our wedding. Tough choice to take the course or to wait another year two years, ten years, never. I took the tough choice. My wife and I both took the tough choice. We said we will do the course. My wife spent that time with her parents in the UK and I didn't see her or speak to her until I completed my course. That was not because I didn't want to, but because I didn't have the money to travel or to make an international telephone call. 1985, long before WhatsApp and whatnot. It took my life savings until that time, plus a loan, plus the time as leave without pay to pay the fees for the course. None of this was a surprise. My wife and I spoke about this and decided that I needed to do this if I wanted to be a consultant. And I wanted to be a consultant. In this case, the tough choice and the cost of it was, both, was for both of us to bear, we did. <clears throat> when I launched my consulting practice in Bangalore in 1994, we faced choices of a different kind. I was a total stranger in the training consulting environment. I had no network, no linkages, no track record as a trainer or consultant. I had been a line manager and my experience was in bauxite mining, mining manufacturing, plantation management and unionized labor relations. I had never been a training or an HR manager. 
but I had chosen leadership consulting and training as my career. At that time, major multinational companies had come to India and recruitment was the name of the game. Many people told me to become a recruiter. I studied the market and found that recruiters were essential to everyone, but were the least trusted of all service providers because of their tendency to pick a person from one company and place him in another at a higher salary. Now, since their earnings were a factor of that, it benefited them, but, the, but employers who lost people to recruiters naturally didn't trust them. I chose not to be a recruiter because as a leadership consultant, I needed to be trusted as a friend and confidant. I needed money very badly because we had just started a new life. I knew I was passing by easy money by not becoming a recruiter, but I was not after easy money. I was after establishing a clientele which trusted me. Indian businesses had and continue to have a very loose and cavalier attitude about respecting copyright and using proprietary material without permission. Uh, and this is almost a norm in most companies. I refuse to do this. And I paid the price in one instance of losing a very lucrative and critical contract at a very critical time in a company that likes to trumpet from the rooftops about their commitment to integrity. But in reality, they, were, they are not about trying to twist the arm of an honest person who considered and considers copyright violation to be theft. They tried, they failed. I suffered materially, but I slept peacefully at night. The result of these choices was that in two years, I built a practice with almost every multinational company as a client, but not even one of them ever required me to sign an NDA, a non-disclosure agreement. Nobody gave me a certificate of trust, but I didn't need a certificate of trust. There's nothing more powerful than not being asked to sign an NDA. Then one of my friends of G, which was one of my first clients, told me, if you seriously want to be a consultant, you must write a book. I did. Currently, that count is 40. I had worked for one of India's largest and most respected family businesses for 10 years and was good friends with the promoter family, uh, including one of the first generation founders. So my first book was The Business of Family Business. I dedicated it to the memory of the founder and chairman of the group, Mr. A.M.M. Arunachalam Chetiar. He was my friend, my mentor, and the best teacher that I could have wished for in this field. I had started from being an employee and became an entrepreneur, and so I wrote an entrepreneur's diary. I had stayed out of recruiting as a business, but had helped many clients to assess potential senior managers, and so I wrote a book called Hiring Winners. I was and am a leadership consultant and wrote, Leadership is a personal choice. I'm deeply interested in wildlife conservation and wildlife photography is a passion of mine and I wrote, The World We Don't See. I worked for 10 years in the plantation industry and so I wrote two books, In a Teacup and The Handbook of Tea Plantation Management. And the list continues. The lesson I want to share here is the importance of documenting life experiences, reflections on those experiences, conceptualizing of learnings, experimenting with those, with those learnings and final lessons. Without recording and documenting, I would never have had the material to write anything. Documenting is a 
lifelong habit of mind which I strongly advocate for anyone who wants to share their experience and wisdom. In addition to all of this, I held and continue to hold myself to the standard that to teach others, one must learn constantly. So I make it a rule for myself to read, to attend courses, and earn technical certifications regularly. All that takes money and time and making hard choices. One of my friends asked me, is it necessary to attend formal classes? My answer is no, it's not necessary to attend formal classes, but usually formal classes are good for two reasons. One is they hold you down to a discipline of progressing in the learning, and two, they assess your progress. <clears throat> but if you can do both of these things on your own, all power to you. As I write this at the age of 67, I'm about to go to a two-month immersion learning program in the Arabic language, which costs $14,000, and where I will have to live alone in a college hostel. Mercifully, my wife is equally dedicated to her profession as an abstract artist and is happy to stay alone to let me indulge my madness about learning new things. Working very hard to earn a living, holding myself to standards that nobody demanded of me, of writing and publishing, an average, on average, two books a year for 20 years meant that our social life was very limited. That is where loving what you do is so important. If you love what you do, you don't need entertainment. This is not the same as being a workaholic. This is dedication. This is the dedication that, for example, makes a music maestro practice for eight hours a day, every day, for the joy of it. Extend that example to any iconic name in any field, in any profession, and you have the same result. Limited social life and dedication to the profession. I love reading and writing and teaching. My best reward, and Alhamdulillah, I have had this many times, my best reward is when someone meets me in an airport or somewhere and says, Mr. Big, I don't know if you remember me, but you changed my life. I asked them, I hope that was for the better. They said, yes, absolutely, totally. I'm what I am because of you. Now, I know this is gross exaggeration. I didn't change that person. It was their own dedication to becoming a winner, which happened. But it feels good to know that I made a positive difference in somebody's life. Who cares that I didn't go to the club for the New Year's Eve party? Winning is about dedication. It is about concentration. It is about focus. It is about making tough choices willingly. It's about stepping forward and saying, choose me because I give you the best value. Choose me not because I am cheap, but because I give you the best value. Winning is not an accident. Winning is not an accident. Winning is not a mystery. You will win if you are serious about winning. Winning is inevitable, but only if you do the right things. So is losing. So is losing. The choice is yours. Because, complete that sentence. Thank you.